You're about to listen to Season 2, Episode 12 of the Meet Mediocrity Podcast. My guest today is Kevin Loretti. I met Kevin as a work colleague, and we quickly expanded from a work relationship to a friendship almost immediately. Kevin is a great worker, but he's also a great guy, and seriously, he's a great golfer. When people are what we call a scratch golfer, we golfers know that they have a rare talent, and Kevin is actually better than a scratch golfer. So, Kevin's journey is a cool story that, frankly, we can apply to all of our lives and all of our passions. You ready to hear about all that? Let's get started. your host, Mediocre Mitch, and welcome to the Meet Mediocrity Podcast, Season 2, Episode 12. Before I get into Episode 12 and Kevin's story, let me just say, holy cow, or holy moly. Last week, I had Greta Lovenheim as my guest. Greta talked about how she hit a pivotal moment in her life decided to do some research, decided to take action, and she lost 250 pounds over the course of a little over two years. Her life has changed, and guess what? The Meet Mediocrity podcast changed because we received an incredible boost from Greta's episode. So since coming up with Meet Mediocrity the Meet Mediocrity concept in the Meet Mediocrity podcast eight months ago, I've produced over 35 episodes. And of all of those episodes, Greta's episode has received more listens in one week than all of the other podcast episodes I've released. And the Meet Mediocrity website meetmediocrity.com, and the Meet Mediocrity Facebook page and Instagram pages are gaining followers rapidly over the course of this week. So thank you, Greta, and thank you, everyone, for following Meet Mediocrity. Now, let's switch gears. As you know, Meet Mediocrity is about understanding yourself, accepting yourself, and loving yourself in whatever state you might be in, even if you feel like it's mediocre. Because you need to first meet mediocrity in order to begin beating mediocrity. Kevin Loretti, my guest today, is far from mediocre. As a worker, as a golfer, as a friend, and as a person. But you'll quickly see that Kevin is very down-to-earth. And he tells his story with golf as a backdrop. Spoiler alert, Kevin has more than enough golfing talent to make a career in the golfing industry, either as a player, as a golf club professional, as an equipment salesperson, as a golf coach. 
But Kevin chose a different path. And frankly, the path Kevin chose positioned him to have a successful career, to have successful work-life balance, and to enjoy his passion in a meaningful way. So, without further delay, join me in welcoming my friend, Kevin Loretti. So, Kevin, thanks for being with me today. Thanks so much for having me. I really appreciate it. So, Kevin, this is actually an interesting story. I'm going to start with the punchline so the listeners know where we're going. Kevin, um, your favorite hobby in the world is what? It is golf. <laughs> By a mile, right? By a mile, not even close. And 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 you and I have played golf a bunch of times, and um, I'm sad to say that your golf game and my golf game are two completely different golf games. <laughs> um, so, Kevin, you're a really great golfer. Um, what's your what's your current handicap, Kevin? I am right now at a plus one. <laughs> plus one. Okay. So you're a freaking great golfer. And um, the thing that I've always found interesting is golf is your hobby. It's your passion. And frankly, you're probably good enough. In fact, you are good enough to have tried to make a career out of either playing the game or being around the game. And you chose not to. Um, yet it's still a huge part of your life. Um, so. Tell me a little bit about, and we're going to come back to it, so don't go too deep, but give me a little bit of like background on great golfer, collegiate golfer. You had a decision to make. Tell me about the decision, and then we'll work our way back. No, it's a, a great point, Mitch. And, you know, I actually struggled with this decision when I was in the decision-making process before college. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, you know, started playing golf really young. Um, addicted right away, started when I was five, six years old, had a club in my hand, have had a club in my hand ever since. Um, started working at a local country club up where I grew up, um, when I was around 12 or 13 and kind of my mentor, the first person who ever gave me, you know, my first set of clubs, my first lesson, um, and was kind of just my mentor in life and, uh, really kind of a pros pro when it comes from uh, the golf industry. Um, we had a kind of a frank conversation and I had sat down with him and then talked to him about the fact that I was thinking about going into the golf business um, and, you know, becoming a golf professional, whether it was a playing pro or a, a head pro somewhere, just, I, I love the game so much. I love being around it and being absorbed with it. And this is coming from a, a longtime pro spending 40 years in the industry, looked at, upon it by his peers as, as one of the best. Mm-hmm. Um, and sat me down and just said, if you love the game of golf and you love to play the game of golf, being in the golf business is not for you. Um, and, you know, going through from an academic standpoint and, you know, knowing I was, I was a, a pretty good student and, you know, able, able to get by that way, said, you know, one of the things is that if you really want to spend time with golf, you going into the golf business will make you actually resent it. Mm-hmm. And being around it so much from a different light, because at the end of the day, being a golf professional, not necessarily playing professional, but if you're in the uh, kind of a head professional capacity, it really more is a hospitality. It is a, a form of client service. Um, it's not necessarily the fact that you're playing all the time, but you're effectively serving your clients, your members, the folks that are playing at your golf club on a day to day basis. And I think when I had that lunch with him and I remember that lunch vividly, it was kind of a a complete game changer because that 
changed my mindset from going to a school that would have a professional golf management program to going to a school that had a accounting program and be able to compete and play and enjoy the game of golf while knowing that, you know, golf will always be there, but that I could actually make a living and, you know, provide for my family in the future by doing, you know, what I do on a day-to-day basis, which is accounting. So it's a, it's really an interesting analogy. So it's almost like, Loving going on vacation or spending your summers at the beach, and instead of enjoying your summers on the beach, deciding to open up a shop on the boardwalk, and next thing you know, you're tethered to the shop, and you're not—you know—you never get toes, you never get sand in your toes. It sounds like that's what he was telling you. Absolutely, because one of the things, especially you know, in in the Northeast uh, up here, it's you know the season's very short. It runs from you know Memorial Day to Labor Day you know, you're burning the candle at both ends where you're in very early, you're leaving very late. So there doesn't leave much time to play golf, which is, again, that's the game that you enjoy, you want to play. And it becomes the fact that that's your business and that's what you're doing on a day-to-day basis. And it can somewhat kind of take away the the allure of the game by having to do it on a day-to-day basis and doing it in that capacity. Well, I completely get it. And, you know, Kevin, this isn't just about golf and it isn't just about athletics. I mean, there are a lot of people who have a talent um, that can be um, monetized as a profession or um, kept as a hobby. I mean, I know actors, actresses, musicians, artists, and athletes of all shapes and sizes. And, you know, turning those careers Turning those fields into a career very often is an incredible grind, but keeping those those passions as passions, they really enrich your life forever. And it sounds like that's what happened with you. Absolutely. I mean, I know so many people that I went to school with, again, played collegiate golf, and you know, a lot of my teammates have gone on to become golf professionals. And you know, I've seen and I heard about the struggles going through it. And it takes a long time to get to a situation where you even feel somewhat comfortable on a day to day basis, Mm -hmm. versus, um, you know, going into a profession where, uh, you know, you can make, you know, very good money, you can live very comfortably and still be able to enjoy that craft or that passion, you know, being Mm -hmm. able to go out there and enjoy the game, play the game, work on your game, you know, play competitively, you still get all the benefits of that while still having a reasonableness of, I don't have to do this and make this as my living. Great. So I get that. I think there are a lot of people who can relate to that or know someone that that is in that situation or has been in that situation. So let's talk a little bit about, about your journey. So you said you started playing golf at five or six years old. <laughs> How, who got you started? So great question. So my my father actually, uh, you know, cut down a seven iron and a and a four wood, and we used to go to the driving range when I was around five six years old. Uh huh. Um, and it's just from that then on, it was you get the bug and you keep going. So um, I you know would go to the driving range with him. Not that my dad is a great golfer, um, and he'll be the first one to tell you that. But it was always something we would have a good time going to the driving range and hitting balls. Um. Uh, even growing up, you know, seven, eight years old, we used to go to my grandparents' house. My grandfather used to play golf and I would always look forward to the days we'd go over to his house because that usually meant I got to go play nine holes with my grandfather 
um, got to go play and, you know, just again, continually absorbing the game. Um, mm-hmm. From there, uh, you know, as I got better, as I started working at the country club, as, as I mentioned before, the, the pro that I used to, to work with um, was, would give me lessons and gave me my first set of clubs. At that point, it was, it, you know, all bets were off. It's anytime I had a chance to have a golf club in my hand, um, hitting golf balls around the yard, much to my parents' chagrin, hitting shots over the house, <laughs> usually not through the house, but over the house. Yeah, um, I'm sure, I'm sure that, that that really honed your concentration because you really didn't want to break a window. Yeah, don't put one through the front window. That's a no-no. <laughs> um, but from that point on, I, I started to realize I was I was actually pretty good at it. And, you know, from there, you start to become competitive. So I started to play in junior tournaments around the state of Connecticut. Um, again, did fairly well in them. Not the best, but still did fairly well. How old were you um, when you started playing competitive tournaments? I probably was around 11, 11 or 12. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, started playing around there, get to teenage years, get into high school. I wanted to play competitively in high school. And then again, it's always just setting the next benchmark. So you start as a freshman, you look to get on the JV team. I was looking to get on the varsity team and I was able to get on varsity as a freshman. And you continually move forward and you try to set these little goals for you along the way of, okay, I got the varsity. Now I want to be in the top, top three, the top two, the, I want to medal at an event. I want to, you know, make all state, that type of thing. And you continually work forward. And as I got through high school, again, the next step is college. So I started to look out and kind of scope out my college selection. Um, Around golf. Around golf, but also having the academic standards. I mean, I wasn't going to sacrifice that to play, but it was a one of the biggest check marks on my list was being able to play competitively at a Division One level while also getting a very good education. So and you were sure of that. You that that was that was your college criteria: academics plus D one golf. Absolutely. I, I think it would have been very hard pressed for me, even if I got into one of my dream schools, if I was not able to play golf, I probably would have had to say no to that university on the basis that I wanted that other aspect to the kind of the college experience. So let me call the time out before we get to college golf. Um, so you, you played, you said you played in tournaments, you played in high school, you weren't the best, but I'm sure you were pretty darn good. Um, what, tell me a little bit about, um, Maybe your biggest golf highlight pre-high school and your biggest golf highlight in high school. Um, Could be anything. Yep. No, before high school, it would have been actually one of my first junior tournaments. Um, I did not have any expectations and I actually ended up coming in second place, which again, that for golf, when you put yourself against, you know, 70 people of your peers, not a bad showing for your first time. Um, so I would say that would probably be my biggest accomplishment pre high school. Um, during high school, my biggest accomplishment was making all state my senior year when I set that out to be my, my goal. And I actually ended up finishing uh, top five in the final state tournament and it ended up making the, uh, the all state team, which was the top, you know, 10 players in the state for uh, the state of Connecticut. That and that was the state of Connecticut. And so you went to college in Connecticut, right? Yep. Uh, Sacred Heart University in Fairfield. Yep. So you got to, got to college and now you're playing D one golf with a bunch of people who are as passionate about golf as you are. 
Absolutely. You get, once you, again, now you're just, you know, more fishes in the, in a, in a bigger pond or smaller pond, I should say. Um, so now I have, you know, every number one person on their high school team is now playing alongside you and against you. And so now mm-hmm. the competition gets a little bit stiffer. Um, but it's a little bit of different, uh, a little bit of a different kind of, um, sense of urgency on it, given the fact that now, you know, the school is also, for the most part, providing some type of scholarship money. It's not just about trying to play well, you're trying to achieve something. So you're trying to, again, win your conferences, get the NCAAs, you're setting another goal ahead, and you're always working towards that. But now you're doing it with a team of, you know, four other people on a weekly in and out basis, while also balancing your college life. So I I, I will be a little bit naive here, because I know something about collegiate sports. I have a son who's a division three volleyball player whose team won the national championship for D three last year. Um, But he was, when he was looking at colleges considering D one versus D three and the general comment that we'd heard was division one, the school kind of owns you division three. You have a little bit more flexibility. Um, Tell me a little bit about, you know, life as a division one collegiate golfer, how, how, how much of it of your time did it take? What kind of, what was practice all about? Tell me a little bit about that lifestyle. So I think for golf, a little bit different. Um, And I think the reason, the reason I say that is if, if you come up playing golf and you played golf for any extended period of time, you know, there is a time commitment just as part of the sport. Mm-hmm. So you play 18 holes is going to take you around four hours, you know, hopefully, um, mm-hmm. if you go and practice, you're going to be spending a couple hours. And so I think that going into it is that's just a normal kind of, uh, pattern for someone who plays. Yep. Um, now the difference is, is obviously when you're doing that from a college perspective is that there's the, the aspect of obviously you're going to class. So you're mm-hmm. balancing your class and your schoolwork and trying to find the balance of, your your class schedule so a lot of times you would have to balance your schedule to put night classes so you'd have time during the day to play or morning classes so you have the afternoon and you'd have to really balance your schedule that way yeah um the other difference is is that um obviously from a tournament perspective so you usually from a northeast uh kind of golf program you usually get about five or six tournaments in the fall season and five or six tournaments in the spring season which is very short um so you're effectively all of your weekends, Friday, Saturday, Sundays are gone. Um, right. So it's that commitment to the effect of the social aspect or the social side of college is that, you know, that first stretch, you know, the first month and a half of school, you're effectively in class practicing and you're on the road at tournaments. And then you'll see your friends and everybody else. You'll basically see them socially once, you know, November timeframe comes around once the tournament season is tied down. And when did it start again in the spring? Um, I mean, we would practice all winter, but, and, you know, find driving ranges with heated ranges and that type of thing. But yep. usually our first tournament for, uh, uh, the Northeast, we would sometime in the first week of April. Um, and then our conference tournaments are usually by the first week, the second week of May, just given the fact that, you know, the, the school year is basically ending at that point. So, so in, so in college, in season, you, you were playing golf every day. I would have at least play nine holes a day with a couple hours of range practice and then throw in the fact that there's a, you know, I know, it, you know, for 
anybody out there listening for golfers, it's surprising, but there's also some gym time as well too. You'd actually have workouts and stuff that you'd be doing on top of that. So um, effectively, again, touching a golf club, going to the range, doing something every day of the week. Well, it's not completely surprising. Well, so it's not completely surprising that there's gym time. I mean, Tiger Woods made that popular, and now like every golfer is freaking buff and and in great shape because there's a lot of wear and tear in golf. I mean, people people think it's a, a soft sport, but you know the torque on your body and the, the miles of walking and and you know your body needs to hold up to all that. Com- completely. And then, you know, in college specifically too, I mean, even though you're in, in most cases, you're in kind of the best shape of your life. It's when you're playing some of these events or you're going through it, you're, you're walking 36 holes um, straight through, there's no breaks or anything of that nature. So that's usually, you know, 11 to 12 hours on a golf course in a competitive frame of mind, you're carrying your golf bag again, throw 40 or 50 pounds on your back with your golf clubs. I mean, it can, it, it can definitely take a toll. And um, in the in college, in the off season, you said you found heated ranges. You're in the Northeast, so it wasn't playing in Florida or Southern California. So you um, you did you practice all winter long as well, or was it just a couple of days a week, or what? Usually, I mean the 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 core team, the, the 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 team that I would consider our core team, the five of us that usually ended up traveling and playing, we would find a way to practice every day. So. Um, Again, weather permitting, but yep. we would find a driving range with a heater. We'd go hit balls. You know, we'd have uh, one of the facilities we had had a, like an indoor facility where you could hit balls on a monitor and an indoor putting practice facility. So we were always, again, always trying to find a way to keep the game sharp, even when we weren't actually able to play. <laughs> okay. So you were in college, you were having a successful college career. Um, tell me about, tell me um, back to the questions on highlights. What, what was your biggest highlight as a collegiate golfer? <laughs> um, it wasn't so much a personal, it, this was more of a team aspect. So for a small Northeast school, um, we were able to win our conference championship, the Northeast conference championship, my junior and senior year, mm-hmm. um, which by right gave us a direct invite bid to the NCAA uh, divisionals, um, which was probably one of the cooler two tournaments I played in my junior and senior year, just because you then start to see the the top schools in the country that are not, you know, obviously from an academic standpoint, but those are the golf schools, the Oklahoma State, the University of Florida, the University of Texas, those guys where you see PGA Tour star after PGA Tour star go through. Um, And again, it's not, it wasn't necessarily personal. I was part of it, but we were able to go there. We set that goal out. We achieved it. And then, you know, you look to the left and you look to the right and there's, you know, for the the golf nuts out there, there's Ricky Fowler on the range next to you and Webb Simpson two stalls down. And you're crossing paths with these guys to just say, look, you know, you're going to see those guys on TV someday. I might not be there, but I got to compete against them. I mean, that's a hi- you know, yeah. that to me, that's a highlight. I mean, being able to participate in something like that is incredibly memorable. And, and Kevin, I had this conversation with my son, Connor, who's a, um, as I mentioned, the D3 vo- volleyball player. And, you know, he's a role player on the team. He was the star of his volleyball team. He's a role player on a, on his college team, but he, he participated in the NCAA final four and they won the tournament and he got a ring and they got to celebrate. And, you know, that is something you'll always remember. And it sounds to me like 
you know, it wasn't Kevin winning a tournament. It was Kevin participating in an event that that is a highlight. I totally buy into that. That's really cool. Absolutely. And like I said, I, I still to this day, you know, when people ask about college golf, I mean, it's, it's not a, a bragging point. It's the fact of, you know, you look on a Sunday and you look on, you know, NBC watching the PJ tour and, you know, I didn't beat that guy, but I played with him. <laughs> <laughs> so you're in college with a bunch of golfers. You're all a bunch of golf nuts. And I'm sure you, you talk to each other about careers in golf. I thought, I know that you, you, you probably had a predisposition because of your mentor and the conversation you'd had earlier in your life. But, um, you know, I'm sure that, that your friends, that the thought had to at least cross your mind of, you know, golf is fun. Should I consider a career in golf? Did that thought cross your mind and did it cross the mind of your, of your teammates? Um, I think for me, it, it, you know, once I got to school and it was more in the playing capacity, I really knew I was not going to be going down that path of playing or, uh, you know, from a, a head pro point of view. I think from mm -hmm. my perspective, I was kind of dead set on it. Um, you know, not many kids go to school and know exactly what they want to major in. They're going to go right. through that. I was in that bucket. Um, I will say that for some of my other teammates, um, I think for a couple, it was they were dead set on golf. And as they made it through college, they realized and maybe made a shift towards this isn't probably going to be the life for me. Mm -hmm. um, so kind of my, my golf team, my, my closest buddies that I've been friends with, obviously, since college is, you know, a couple of them have become golf professionals and been very successful. Um, the other couple have gone into the finance industry. Um, so again, it was a, it was a mixed bag, but we always have that kind of golf camaraderie that we can go back to is that what's kind of brought us together. And now we, we always bounce things off of each other. We all have a little bit of a subsect of something different now, kind of post-college, if you will. Do you, do you guys ever get together and play? Um, we, we do. Um, so luckily we're all fairly, um, close still, um, regionally wide. So, you know, one of my, one of my college teammates lives in New York city. One's a head for golf professional in New Jersey. Another one's up in Westchester. And then unfortunately my other good friend uh, was in London for about 10 years. He just moved back to the States and now he's down in Miami, but we talk on a very regular basis. Anytime we're within an earshot or, you know, he's up visiting his parents or I'm down in, in Florida at my mother-in-law's, um, we try to get together anytime we're able to, to see each other. That's the biggest thing. So, and it's always good to be a, um, to have golf as a hobby, but have friends who are in the golf industry because I presume, I presume they at least give you a discount on golf balls or something. Uh, never hurts to know someone in the golf business. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, okay. So you, um, so you had a successful collegiate career and now golf is your hobby. And obviously with a plus one handicap, you are a seriously good golfer and you've been out of college uh, for more than 10 years now, right? I have, scary, scary thought, but yes, I, I have that right. School for about 10 years. Okay. Yep. So um, how do you keep your golf game? You know, tell me a little bit about your golf game now. Um, you know, how often do you play? How often do you practice? Tell me a little bit about that. So the, the answer to that depends on who you ask. 
So if you, if you, oh, I know the way I didn't mean to make you have a, a public <laughs> confessional here. Yeah, I know. I, so you're, you're, you're telling your family, you're telling your wife that you're at work, but you're really at the range. Okay. Well, well, if, if, if you, if you ask me, I need to play more. If you ask my wife, I play way too much. So there's always, Oh, a, well that, uh, that, yeah. that, well, look, I, th- <laughs> I think most of us have, have similar sorts of problems. So, um, but seriously, um, you know, how, how do you keep your game sharp? So w- what I do again, similar to kind of the, the theme before is that the biggest thing with golf. And I think the, the, the reason why it's such a great game is that that game stretches over a lifetime. Mm-hmm. So, you know, in order to stay engaged in it, you know, it's something that you're always working on. You're always fine tuning. You're always looking for, you know, to improve your swing. You're looking to improve your putting. You're, you're looking for something always to be working on and working towards. Because there really is no definition of perfect. Mm-hmm. There is no perfect score. There's a million different variables thrown at you every time you get up and hit the ball. So really what it is, is you know, trying to find that thing every few weeks or few months that you're working towards on a goal. So you know, for me, you know, whether it's I play or try to play you know, two times, three times a week, depending on the week. Um, you know, whether it be after work or go hit balls in the morning or, you know, you know, after a long day of work, trying to go and just putt for a little bit just to kind of clear your head. It's always something that I can kind of compartmentalize. I can take my normal day job. I can put that aside for a second and kind of decompress mm-hmm. and focus 100% in on something else. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that, again, that's a great facet of the game to be able to do that because golf does take a lot of concentration, a lot of effort, given the fact that it is such a routine thing that, you know, it comes and goes, you know, you could feel like you're doing the same swing every single time, but from week to week, that could be different depending on the conditions or what's going on. Mm-hmm. So you get, you get out and you play a few times a week. Um, and do you have a like a regular weekend game or do you just kind of like call around or do you like to play by yourself or how, how do you how do you do you have any anything that's a, a regular routine? A- absolutely. So the um, I was uh, fortunate enough to, to join a club out by by me in Long Island um, about three years ago. And I've, uh, you know have a good group of, of friends out there that are, you know, just as much of a golf nut as I am. <laughs> um, so what we usually do is we'll kind of throw our names in a hat, get two or three groups together on the weekends, go out and play. And again, it's friendly competition. So we, you know, we'll try to get, you know, a little, you know, you know, team match, two on two match, group match together, something of that, just to keep it interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, I will say when I'm trying to work on something, so if there's a, you know, a swing change or something I'm like to do, that's when I like to kind of go out by myself and try to really work through it and think through it. Cause mm-hmm. usually when you get into a competitive scenario, you, you really try Your only goal is to get the ball in the hole as quickly as possible. Whereas right. if you're really working on something mechanical, that's more of a, you want a rain session or, you know, go out by yourself and just, you know, work on that swing thought or swing feel that you, that you have. Gotcha. Gotcha. So I also know, Kevin, that you are a very popular guy to invite to clubs for member guests because you're a good golfer. I also know that you're a popular guy to invite to golf outings and whatnot because you're fun to play golf with. Um, Tell me a little bit about the most fun golf experience you've had 
in the past few years prior to COVID? Pre-COVID. Um, I was, I would say one of my favorite golf experiences um, was with my buddy, Brian, where we were fortunate enough to be asked to go on a effectively all expenses paid trip to Pebble Beach. Uh huh. Um, and it was one of those trips where I really, you know, you know what Pebble Beach is as a golfer. You know that that's kind of the, the mecca, if you will, to go to. Um, and we're able to go experience it, go able to go experience it with a friend on top of it and able to go experience it and be able to play the courses in the area and get to experience a different part of the country and, and and that type of thing. So that was probably my favorite golf trip. Mm -hmm. Um, that said, I've had a a lot of other experiences where, whether it be some type of pro-am where my, like I said, my, one of my good friends is a golf professional in New Jersey. Um, and one of the top players in the state of New Jersey. So he's invited me to play with him in some competitive situations where it's kind of a pro scratch or a, a pro-am type, type deal. And those are also, again, it's, it's, it's a time in which you get to be competitive. You get to, to play the game of golf, but you get to spend time with really good friends. And I think that's one of the, one of the things that I've been able to experience in that capacity of you know, traveling around and playing different places. You know, I completely get it. You know, for me, I... I'm a mediocre golfer, but I taught my kids how to play. I've got four sons, three of them play golf. And, um, one of them is, is very good. Uh, well, they're all good, but one of them is better than the other two. Anyway, that's my son, Jake. And when Jake graduated college, we took him on a golf trip for his graduation to Pebble beach. And I have to tell you, we played all the, the courses around there. It wasn't all expenses paid. It was daddy's expenses paid. <laughs> But um, what I can tell you is that um, in my life, the round we played at Pebble Beach was the most memorable, most memorable round of golf in my entire life. First of all, we all played well. Second of all, having you know all the history there. Plus, you, you we took out caddies who basically played color commentary on every single hole. Because mm-hmm. they know all the history and all the tournaments and and where every pro got in trouble and where every pro made an amazing shot and it really added so much to the round. So playing Pebble Beach and playing with in, in your case good friends in my case my sons is truly memorable. Um, tell me, Kevin, the coolest golf course you've played on in the U.S. and the coolest golf course you've played on outside the U.S. So I think the coolest golf course and actually one of my favorite golf courses is actually on display this week. So Wingfoot Golf Club in Mamaroneck is one of my kind of, I would say kind of the holy grail place to play. Um, I've played it a handful of times. I enjoy it every time I go. It's just as special as the next time you go. that's one of my favorite places to go. Mm-hmm. Um, outside the U.S., surprisingly, I have not been outside the U.S. a ton to play golf, but I would okay. say my favorite golf course thus far, because I will travel once, <laughs> hopefully, when COVID is gone, yep. um, is Old Head Golf Links in Ireland. Um, wow. That was that mentor that I mentioned before 
um, had put that in my head at a very young age that that was his one of his favorite golf courses. I was fortunate enough to play it last year, um, you know, again, through a through a, a friend. And uh, it was one of the more, more memorable days I've had playing playing around a golf. That's amazing. And and Ireland is is both beautiful and often windy and rainy. (laughs) Absolutely. (laughs) Um, So here we are today. um, We're in the middle of COVID. I'd like to ask you a question because for me, 2020 has been a crappy year and Uh it has been that for a lot of people. Um, However, I think I've played more rounds of golf in 2020 <laughs> than I have in quite a few years. Um, has it been good to you as it relates to getting rounds of golf in? Um, I, I, it, yes, from a, a number of round perspective. And I think also from a, even from a mental standpoint, um, I think for all of us, you know, with, with what COVID has done and how this year has transpired and what, what has gone on, there's just been so much to think about. And again, being in a fortunate state where I have a, a place to play that I could go that, you know, did not, did not have to shut down for really any extended period of time during this. It's been that ability to kind of escape stuff, as I mentioned before, yep. um, but doing it safely at the same time. So golf lends itself to being that, you know, socially distant and the ability to, again, get outside and get some fresh air and do that stuff. And Clear head. I mean, again, I think all of us have been inside for so long and doing that that um, the game itself lends to it. And I, I, again, I'm fortunate enough to be able to, to do that. And I feel the same way. A, very fortunate. B, I'm fortunate that I enjoy the game of golf, which I can do in a safe and socially distant manner. And and fortunate that, and I, mean, I guess most, if not all, golf courses have done this, but the golf course has taken so many precautions to make it safe and to make it, you know, socially distant and sanitary. And I'm thankful for that as well. Yeah. And, and I think, again, you know, this goes uh, knowing my friends are golf professionals, but golf professionals in general, kudos to them everywhere they are. Um, you know, they're not golf professionals are there to, again, run a golf course and provide, you know, instruction and, you know, run a pro shop. They're not there to clean golf courts and sanitize and do those things like you said. So for them to be able to run their clubs and be able to do that and adapt so quickly in order to make sure that their members or their guests or their patrons or whoever are there, um, it's some, said something to be any golf professional out there. It's, uh, you know, very, very kudos, kudos to all of them. The one, the ones at our course, they they worked like crazy to make it both enjoyable but also safe for us. So, um, agree on the kudos there. So, I'm gonna I'm gonna wrap this up. I'm gonna give you I'm gonna give you a chance to have one to to give one final uh, thought. So, while you're thinking about that, uh, I'm gonna you know just kind of reflect on the fact that um, this has been an amazing conversation because what we've talked about is, you know, someone who is obviously got a talent and a passion and you actually had the talent to, to, to make a career out of it. And you said, you know what? Um, I choose to keep it as a passion and keep, keep that talent working towards that passion. You, you, you made your career go in a completely different direction and um, golf you know, golf isn't the only one. I mean, certainly artists, certainly runners, certainly there are a lot of things you can do as a lifetime activity. 
Uh, but this is one that you've you've taken from kind of hobby to potential career to 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 keeping it as a passion, and it's going to stay. It's staying with you, and it's going to stay with you. So, Kevin, any final thoughts um, for our listeners before we wrap it up? And I think this is this goes to again the, the game of golf, and I, like I said, I've I've played since I, I was a kid, and one of the biggest things I think I take out of it, like you said, it's a career game, it's a life game, it's something you can do. There's a lot of parallels to it, so it's not just the game of golf and the sport, but there's a lot of things from the integrity aspect of you know that parallel your your actual life. Um, I think one of the best byproducts of the game of golf is the relationships you build along the way. So the fact that, you know, you have that game on a Saturday morning where you're not just playing golf with these, these individuals, you're, you're um, learning more about them, you're becoming more en- enveloped in their lives. And, you know, those relationships go on well past the golf course, well past when you walk up the 18th hole. And I think I take that even more to heart where there are a lot of relationships I've built on the golf course that I can take not only from a personal aspect, but from a, um, a, a day-to-day aspect in, in my, in my career. Um, so that's kind of, again, the way that I put the game is that there's so much of a parallel of the game of golf to the game of life. And that if you can transpose both of them from a passion to your, your everyday life, I think that's a pretty cool thing that you can you mirror both together and not have a, a dynamic or a huge shift from one side to the other incredibly well said. So Kevin, let's make a deal that before 2020 is over, we'll at least get one round of golfing together. Absolutely. We'll tee it up whenever you'd like, Mitch. (laughs) All right. Thanks for joining me today, Kevin. Thanks, Mitch. Really appreciate it. I take care. There are a lot of aspects of Kevin's journey that we can draw on and relate to. First and foremost, embrace your passion. If you do it right, your passion, be it golf, running, reading, knitting, acting, arts and crafts, yoga, Pilates, music, anything, just really anything that's your passion can be made into a truly meaningful part of your life. And Whether or not you want to make money at it, win awards for it, or just enjoy it, it's all good. And it's completely up to you. The important thing is to recognize your passion, nurture it, own the direction you choose to take with it, and don't lose the passion. Because, like Kevin, keeping the passion in your life and nurturing that passion, that passion can become a companion. It can help you make friends. It can help your self-esteem. It can clear your head. It can help you smile. And smiling's super important. That's what Kevin did. He decided that the best thing for him was not to make a career out of playing golf, but to make golf part of his everyday life, his passion, his hobby. Kevin admits it. Golf is pretty much part of his life every day. Whether he's squeezing in nine holes after work, hitting balls on the range, chipping balls in his backyard, putting in his living room, talking to his golf buddies, golf is what helps Kevin decompress, clear his mind, connect with friends, and Kevin will have this for the rest of his life. Good for you, Kevin, and frankly, it's something we can all do. So, with that, here's the wrap-up. 
Thank you. Thank you for following and supporting and enjoying the Meet Mediocrity podcast. And just so you know, I am running out of my most recent order of Meet Mediocrity t-shirts. So help me give away the balance of my inventory. Reach out to me via direct message or at meetmediocrity.com to request your free Meet Mediocrity t-shirt. And of course, please continue to tell your friends to join our Meet Mediocrity community. Until next week, please stay safe and healthy. Keep smiling, be happy, and stay well. Take care, everyone.